You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, rocking and rolling into week number eight with a classic top 25 battle in Happy Valley. Michigan, Penn State doesn't get better than this. Rockin' Rich Sermonello, we should have a real glimpse of the Big Ten title picture a little bit later today. Well, the East Division, which might be the best in all of college football, gets some clarity tonight in Happy Valley. I can't wait to see this atmosphere. Penn State at night looking for revenge, 49-10 to last year against Michigan. Penn State was really outmanned, underhanded, injured last year. Now they enter... Week eight, number two in the country, Joe. Show it's it should be a phenomenal atmosphere in Happy Valley. Yeah, they lost that ball game in Ann Arbor last year, forty-nine to ten. Gave up three hundred twenty-six rushing yards to the Wolverines. We'll see how they bounce back a little bit later tonight. It is an eight p.m. kick on ABC, so check that out. Uh, when we Rich and I have a great show planned for you today at nine twenty-four Eastern. Huge battle in South Bend, USC and Notre Dame. We're going to be joined by. Former Notre Dame running back Reggie Brooks will get Reggie's take about what Brandon Winbush and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish have to do to get the victory over Sam Donald and USC a little bit later tonight. 11.06 Eastern will be joined by former LSU defensive tackle and two-time Super Bowl champ uh, Leonard Marshall will get Leonard's take about what LSU and uh, LSU and uh, LSU plays Ole Miss, what the Tigers have to do to get the victory a little bit later today in Oxford. They've dropped two straight against the Rebels by 12 points per game. And then 10:40, 11:40 Eastern will be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get Gabe's takes about his best bets for the college football uh, slate a little bit later today. But Rich. Thursday night, a big game. Uh, Memphis and Houston. Memphis fell behind that half, 17 to nothing. Riley Ferguson and the crew, though, bounced back in a big way. I completed 33 of 53 passes, 417 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I mean, that was a lights out atmosphere, and he pulled it off 42 to 38 over Houston. You know, very impressive. Riley Ferguson, the Tennessee transfer, has exceeded expectations. How much would the volunteers like to have Riley oh. Ferguson this year? I mean, oh. I'm not saying that Butch Jones would get off the hot seat necessarily, but they wouldn't have the quarterback issues that they have in Knoxville at this point. But Memphis with Mike Norvell, a coach who I think is going to get a lot of attention when it comes to Power 5 openings that could come up in the next couple of months. Special teams. I love special teams. What does that do? You and I were on the phone when Pollard took that kickoff back. Huge and kickoff. that changed Huge kickoff. the entire tenor of the second half of that game. And, and right now, Houston with Major Applewhite, he has talent. Kyle Postma did a good job under center for a while. Ed Oliver is lights out on defense. But that is the kind of crushing loss that could impact them over the second half of the season. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out. I mean, uh, when you see the AAC overall, I mean, Memphis and Riley Ferguson are a very hot team. Back-to-back victories now over Navy and Houston. We're just getting started. When Rich and I come back, we'll delve right into the top 25 battles. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network studio. 
Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source 24 hours a day. on College Football Today right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe Easy, Rich Sermonello. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call. 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You can follow me on Twitter at Go for the 2 You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Huge battle in Beaver Stadium later tonight. It is number 19, Michigan. Number 2, Penn State. Michigan's won the last three over the Nittany Lions by 18.6 points per game. Penn State coming out of a bye week, Rich. I think they'll be focused, ready, and I expect a Penn State dominating home win a little bit later today. I, I couldn't agree with you more. We're starting the show off in agreement <laughs> that uh, that could... Our she is in order. It is, but that could always skid out of control, as we've seen in the past. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm concerned about Michigan at this stage of the season, Joe. Defense outstanding. Don Brown, we talk about it a lot. The defensive coordinator has done a tremendous job. Again, he has talent, but he had a lot of new starters this year. If you look at what Maurice Hurst is doing on the front line, Devin Bush at linebacker, the entire secondary, really, really outstanding. So I think Saquon Barkley, who has had troubles at times this year, right? Indiana contained him. Northwestern contained him. His one big game was against Iowa. So I think a lot is going to come down to Trace McSorley. Can he balance out that offense if they're stacking the line of scrimmage? And can he make plays downfield with the help of his receivers and his tight end, Mike Gasicki? And then the reason why I really like Penn State in this game, even to cover a large number, a seemingly large number against a ranked opponent, is that Nittany Lion defense. Because Michigan right now... Yeah, Karan Higdon ran for 200 yards last week in the overtime victory over Indiana. Very nice. They need that. But they have virtually no passing game with John O'Corn. I mean, John O'Corn is a mess at this point. And going against a Penn State defense, which has been outstanding on the back end, I think as much as we'll talk about Don Brown, this is really going to be about Brent Pry, Penn State's defensive coordinator. I don't think Michigan gets beyond maybe 10 or 13 points. So I think Penn State wins... I won't say comfortable. I think it's going to be a competitive game, but I think this could be a 21-10, to 23-10 type of victory. Yeah, I think the only way Michigan can win this ballgame is if they get Penn State into a low-scoring game. You mentioned uh, Trace McSorley and his progression entering this ballgame. He's completing 67% of his passes, 1,597 yards, 13 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. This is a Penn State offense that's averaging 290 passing yards per game, rushing for right in the area of 168 
38 yards per game. But you look at the flip side, Michigan's offense, one-dimensional. They're rushing for 185 yards entering this ballgame, only passing for 191 yards through the air. They've been put into third down and long situations, haven't been able to convert. And if Penn State could force that type of tempo early on, jump up early at home, I think it's lights out for, for the Wolverines in this matchup. Yeah, and just a piggyback off of that, Joe, look at the Penn State secondary this year. Not a lot of, you know, it doesn't have the the Derwin James type of uh, individual on the back end, but Christian Campbell, as a for instance, has really been doing a fantastic job in coverage. Listen to these numbers. Penn State, three touchdown passes allowed, uh-huh. nine picks, top 10 nationally in pass efficiency defense. So that's secondary against John O'Corn, they're going to have no opportunity to throw the ball. And again, as much as I was impressed by Higdon last week, and maybe he's the feature back that Jim Harbaugh needs for the Michigan offense, I don't think Higdon alone is going to get it done. In fact, Jason Kambinda, the linebacker of Penn State, I could see him spying Higdon all game long, Penn State pushing up the safeties in order to prevent Michigan from running the ball and then putting the ball in the hands of John O'Corn. So I think this is a very low-scoring game. Michigan continues to struggle in that wild atmosphere of Happy Valley. So again, I, I, I think Don Brown, one of the best in the business, but remember the name Brent Pry, defensive coordinator of Penn State. He could be the coordinator hero tonight in a huge game against Penn State. Yeah, and everybody talks about Michigan's defense, and rightfully so. Entering this matchup, they're holding opposing offenses to 85 yards rushing per game, holding opposing offenses as well to 138 passing yards per game. They do enter this game with 20 total sacks, and third down defense rock solid, holding opposing offenses to 20% of their third down conversions, but it's their offense. You look at this offense now, as an offensive unit, only converting around 38% of their third down opportunities. They're going up against an offense that will spread their defense vertically in terms of formations and then look for McSorley as well. In the read option on the perimeter of the defense, I think that's a matchup that you have to keep uh, an eye out on as well, along with the Wildcat for Saquon Barkley. What kind of a game do you think Barkley has tonight? Because, you know, we've gotten to that point. It's, you know, we're not at Heisman talk necessarily, but but Barkley has to be considered, if not the leader, one of the top three, Bryce Love of Stanford in the mix as well. But, you know, last time we saw him in primetime against Iowa, he was spectacular. Do we get that kind of a game from Barkley, or is he more of a... You know, uh, has one big run to beat his numbers. He could be a decoy here. I mean, I think you'll see Saquon Barkley utilizing this matchup in the short to intermediate passing game. Tommy Stevens? You bring up a good point about read option. Tommy Stevens, a backup quarterback, has been used in the running game as well. I think James Franklin will be aggressive here in the offensive staff. I mean, I think they have to be. I think if if they fall behind 3-0, 7-3 in that type of ball game, that'll favor Michigan in this matchup. And that's the thing, if you're a Penn State fan, you don't want to get into you want to start fast, up-tempo attack, put the pressure on John O'Corn to match them score yep. for score. We'll see how it plays out. I, I have this game right in, in, the, in the area, 17 to 20 points. I think it could be okay. Penn State, 10 points much of the way, a late touchdown in the give fourth quarter. Give me a quarter. score-ish. You don't have to give me an exact score. I think me... Penn State can win this ballgame 31-14. You think they could score 31? I do. On... Okay. I do. I, th- I, think it's, I think if they jump up early, I think Michigan will press. And yeah. I think that's where you could see 31 points by and, Penn State. And I think, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this, I think revenge, which some Sometimes we overrate a little bit. 
Penn State was absolutely livid with the way last year played out. Since that loss to Michigan, they're 15-1. and And again, they were down to like fifth and sixth string linebackers playing against Michigan. Michigan laid it on them and then also went to the postgame press conference and embarrassed Penn State. So I think this is... Not that they need a coming out party nationally, but for anyone nationally who's wondering, is Penn State really back? Are they capable of being a repeat Big Ten champ? I think this is their statement game, and they are going to revel in an opportunity to not just embarrass Michigan, but to embarrass Jim Harbaugh, who quite frankly in his third season now, a little bit below expectations as really, far as I'm concerned. I think it, Michigan right now, I mean, you look at that matchup last year. They rushed for 326 yards on the ground. That was the fourth game of the year. Penn State come off that emotional loss to Pittsburgh, 42-39. Yeah. to 39. They had an opportunity to pull that ball game out, went on the road the following week to the big house and got annihilated yeah. in that matchup. But I think it's an emotional factor. I think it's a confidence factor as well. I think they look at Michigan and they realize, hey, that was the fourth game of the year. Since that time, we're a different team. Completely. They're going to be a confident team coming into this matchup. And, I, and again, when you look at Jim Harbaugh and this defense as a whole, last year they were 8-0 every time they held opponents under 100 yards rushing, and they won those matchups by 37 points per game. But in their three losses to Iowa, Ohio State, and Florida State, they failed to rush for over 100 offensively and allowed over 100 to each of those opponents. So if Saquon gets started early, that's the MO to beat Michigan. And and listen, watching Michigan closely, as you and I have, as the audience has over the past couple of weeks, defense, solid, but offensively against Michigan State and then last week against Indiana, pretty good defense in Indiana. I don't want to dog Indiana. Hoosiers have some talent on that side of the ball. Allen playing well. Yeah, but I'm just not impressed by Michigan. They're not a complete team right now. And I don't care if Wilton Spate was under center. I think it would be the same situation. So Michigan on a downslide. I think Penn State is ready to pounce. I see a double-digit victory as well. And turnovers could be a, a key factor in this matchup. Entering this ball game, Michigan is negative three in turnover margin, so keep an eye out for that. If Michigan is to pull off the upset, they're going to need to force turnovers, especially in Beaver Stadium on the road at night. They're going to have to create some turnovers against Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley. We'll see how it plays out. It is an 8 o'clock kick a little bit later today. Number 11, USC. Number 13, Notre Dame. Storied Rock. Rivalry. You look at Brandon Winbush and Brian Kelly. This is a Notre Dame team that is five and one entering this matchup. They've won three of the last five over USC by seven point six points per game. But USC did pick up this victory last year in the Coliseum by eighteen points. But I love USC here in this match. Really? I love wow. them. I, yeah. I think it's a speed factor in this well, ballgame. Listen, I, I like ND. Uh, I, I think ND, the way they're running the ball, this is a seminal moment for Brian Kelly. I, I think you could say, you know, the Georgia game was enormous. Lost that game 20 to 19. I think for Brian Kelly, for the Irish, USC, USC's a, a, a bit. You know, uneven right now because of injuries. I don't like their line play. They struggled, uh, almost lost at home last week to Utah. Tough game, one point. Utah goes for the two-point conversion and the victory. I think it's going to be a very competitive game. But I think Notre Dame, with the ability to run the ball behind Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, up front to future NFL offensive linemen, I think they grind out an impressive victory. Should be a very, very entertaining game. Keep it where it is. When we come back, we'll be joined by former Notre Dame running back Reggie Brooks. 
books will get his take about the Irish and USC. Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. If you want to win at Fantasy Sports, wouldn't you listen to people who have already won at Fantasy Sports? I'm here to tell you about DailyRoto.com. Don't be intimidated by the DraftKings and FanDuel Sharks, even the Fantasy Draft Sharks. The guys at DailyRoto.com have not only won a million dollars amongst one of the writers, but they've created three others. That's four people who have won millionaire contests from this content alone. Don't be fooled by screenshots talking about $25,000 winners from other places. Go to DailyRoto.com where they have a proven track record of creating millionaires. DailyRoto.com. Tell them Greg Sussman sent you. Number 11, USC. Number 13, Notre Dame. Doesn't get better than this. What better way to break this game down than with a former star from Notre Dame? He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. want to welcome in former Notre Dame running back Reggie Brooks. Reggie, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, doing, doing great. A great game a little bit later tonight. I know you're amped up. Talk to us about what the atmosphere is there in, in South Bend. Last year, a disappointing season, 4-8, and eight, but the Irish have rebounded 5-1. and one. The fans are buying back into the program, but what's the atmosphere there uh, at the stadium today? A lot of excitement. I mean, this, this uh, you know, after last year, everybody was a little gun-shy to believe this team is the, the real deal, but I, I know when you have a strong offensive line, a strong running game, uh, it, it puts you back on the map, and it doesn't hurt to have a pretty good defense just creating turnovers. Hey, Reggie, I, I think in college football we're, we're accustomed to rivalries that are geographic in nature or conference-related. This is the best rivalry in the country that uh, blurs the lines of conference. Talk a little bit about USC and, and that tradition, that storied rivalry between these two programs. Oh, I mean, you know, actually, Coach Holtz, uh, when I when I played, uh, Coach Holtz used to make us take, take a test, you know, about the rivalry and you know the importance of it. So it was ingrained in us, you know, the time you step on campus that Notre Dame USC is the most important rivalry you're ever going to face. And you know, I had the pleasure of beating them for four years in a row. So it, it was it was really nice. But um, you know, it's it's one of those. To me, it's the best rivalry in college football. Um, just having two teams from with such storied uh, histories to battle out every year, and then doesn't matter the the record of either team. It's going to be a hard fought game, and you know you want to come out on top. Reggie, you mentioned that running game of Notre Dame entering this matchup. They're averaging 308 rushing yards per game. A big transition from last year's offense, more wide open under former quarterback Deshaun Kaiser that now is with Cleveland. But what's the biggest transition in terms of the offensive line and the philosophy that Brian Kelly instilled with new quarterback Brandon Wimbush? Well, Brandon brings a, a, a bit of a different different style to the game at the quarterback position for us because he is an explosive runner. You know, Deshaun was able to run, but he was a lot bigger and it took him a while to get moving and get going, but he he could he was a good runner. Desha- uh Wimbush is an explosive runner. He creates a lot of uh a lot of pressure, puts a lot of pressure on the defense when you have to have to contain not only a Josh Adams, Dexter Williams, Tony Jones but when the quarterback's back as explosive as he is, that's capable of running, you know, 
50, 60 yards a pop, it really puts a lot of pressure on the defense to contain him. So you have to look at everybody in the backfield, not just one or two guys. Reggie, uh, build on Josh Adams a little bit in terms of explosive runners. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, we're talking a lot about Saquon Barkley, Bryce Love, but, uh, but Josh Adams over nine yards a carry, the figurehead, the bellwether of that running game. Break down his style for us if you could. He's a big back. And the thing that I like about Josh is, you know, watching him over the course of his time here, he's done a much better job of getting behind his pads. You know, at six foot, 220 pounds, you tend to be a little more upright. And when he came in, he was more of an upright runner. I have to get a lot of, a lot of, give a lot of credit to Autry Denson and his ability to work with him to get behind his pass, to give less body surface to hit. He gets low, he gets in and out of the hole, and then he keeps his legs moving constantly. And then he has that home run speed to get it to the end zone. So he, he's a full, full complement of a back. Because not only can he run the ball in between the tackles, but he has the speed to get to the edge, and he's also a very good pass protector. Um, watching you know the UNC game, he did a great job of picking up a lot of the blitzes. Smart young man, and very physical and very talented. I'm just waiting to see him play a full game and see what he's able to do with uh, more than just two two quarters under his belt. Reggie, you, you talk about last year. I mean, uh, Notre Dame lost to teams like Duke, Virginia Tech, and Stanford at home, and now they've had dominating home wins over uh, opponents this season. I mean, what's been the biggest change in terms of a mindset or a mentality from this team? Uh, I mean, because we've had former players on, and they said that uh, college football teams just didn't fear Notre Dame the, the way they used to in years past. But what do you see as the biggest change in terms of the mentality of this team? A lot of it started this spring with the um, new strength and conditioning program. Um, Matt Bayless did a great job of getting these guys in shape. You know, when you're physically in shape and your mindset is in what we used to call don't flinch, the motto here is uh, grit. You know, that grinded out physical discipline approach to the game that no matter what happens, we're going to be prepared and we're going to be able to play four quarters. I just think last year we ran out of gas a lot of times in the fourth quarter. Again, from a conditioning standpoint, you could tell guys weren't, you know, as explosive, but you see them this year. Guys, you know, the offensive line is still coming off the ball. We're still getting a good strong pass rush. We're contesting passes in the fourth quarter. Our runners are a lot more physical and getting after it. So, a lot of this started in the spring during the winter conditioning and preparation for the season because a lot of the mental and physical grind that you go through at, during the course of a season, you need to try to find a way to replicate that in the off season. And they did a great job. And I, hats off to Matt Bayless and what he was able to accomplish with these young men in terms of their physical and mental um, attitude uh, throughout the season. Reggie, I, I don't know if this is a an elite Notre Dame defense at this point, but I do know that Mike Elko has a, had a profound impact on the unit. Takeaways ha, have really helped out what the Irish have done. Uh, now that we're beyond the midway point of the season, do you get the impression that both offensively but especially defensively that the new philosophies have really started to gel with the kids? Without a doubt. I mean, you look at these guys defensively, and, you know, we were pretty young on the defensive front. Um, good mix of, you know, older guys and then a lot of younger guys that are stepping up. 
But these guys are playing at a high level, you know, and it really starts with not having to think about a play. It's reacting to what you see based on situations that you run through in practice because you've prepared. You don't have to do a lot of, you know, split coverages and, you know, uh, you know stunts and things of that nature when you're sound up front and you're sound on the back end that you guys, the guys work together as a team. They you guys know what they're doing. They're confident in what they're doing, and they go out and compete. And that's where the turnovers come from is when you're, you're, you know where you're supposed to be, you're there, then the next step is get the ball out. You know, when you're making a tackle, so these guys are – that transition, you, you see that transition from thinking about what you're doing to knowing what you're doing, going at it full speed, being aggressive, and then that next step is, hey, we're creating turnovers because we know what we're supposed to do. We know where we're supposed to be. Now it's that your athletic ability takes you to the next level to where you start to create turnovers. I want to stick on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to be going up against Sam Darnold that has passed for over 2,000 yards this season, 15 touchdowns. From a secondary perspective, Reggie, what can they do defensively to force Sam Darnold to throw balls into coverage? Or more importantly, only 13 total sacks for this team entering this matchup. What can they do to generate a pass rush to force Darnold into quick throws underneath coverage? Well, a lot of the things we've played thus far, you know, they're built to get rid of the ball quickly. When we've been able to get some pressure, um, the thing is it's going to be critical is we, we need to be able to get the pressure with with the four-man four front. We've got to get some get some one-on-one on, one on one matchups with their defensive, I mean, with their offensive tackles and beat guys off the edge and force uh, Darnold off, off his throwing, throwing, throwing areas and move him around in the pocket and force him to – either get rid of the ball quickly or hold on to it a little bit more. So keeping him off balance is going to be a key factor of that, and a lot of that is going to come with can we get pressure with the four-man front. Reggie, great insight and information. We'd love to get you on a little bit later in the year talking Notre Dame football. We We hope you enjoyed it today. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Former standout. Running back for Notre Dame, Reggie Brooks. He knows this this rivalry Didn't very well. Didn't realize he was four and zero, Joe. Yes, four and zero over yeah. and playing guys like uh, Todd Marinovich back yeah. in the day. Remember yeah. him? Oh, of course, Todd of course. Marinovich yeah. back in the day, and uh, and uh, Mazio Royster was another one for yeah. USC. Yeah, one of my all time favorites. Running back, right? Yeah, yeah. Cur- yeah, Curtis Conway. So you're talking about, I mean, just rich tradition. I think for USC here, they have to jump up on Brandon Wimbush. He's only completing fifty two percent of his passes this is a usc offense averaging 296 passing yards per game they're also balanced though they're running for 180 yards ronald on the ground. jones is outstanding i know uh, again he's one of those running backs that you know uh, uh bryce love and saquon are, are taking up a lot of the air in the room he's when having a fantastic he's year. outstanding i mean when he gets through the first line of the defense just so explosive i mean he really was instrumental in that comeback victory against utah you bring up an interesting point i wanted to touch on which is the passing of brandon wimbush i'm assuming he's going to be healthy the foot is okay uh, it's yeah. been three weeks but i think notre dame to not only beat usc but then to 
if they do win this game, I think we're going to have to talk about them as a potential playoff contender if they win. But you know what? There are two players on that offense that I'd like to see them incorporate more. I know the running game, run first, that's working. But Equinemius St. Brown and Alizé Mack are two really talented targets. And if Brandon Wimbush becomes the kind of quarterback that can incorporate those hands a little bit more in the offense, man, Notre Dame is going to be awfully tough to stop. Well, I think if you're Brian Kelly, you want to open up running lanes later in this matchup, be aggressive on first and second down. But when we come back, we'll be breaking this game down in greater detail. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. The award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network is your free fantasy source 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You can catch this show and many others live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn Radio. Want to listen on your computer at work? Go to FNTSY.com slash radio or check us out on YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page where you can ask questions, discuss topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your questions on the air. The number is 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 days a year fantasy sports network of its kind without a subscription. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your fantasy source. Conversation number 11, USC, number 13, Notre Dame. You look at USC's six wins this year. They've come against a combined overall record of opponents uh, with a combined overall record of 21 and 19 or 525 winning percentage. Notre Dame is 5 and 1 entering this matchup, Rich, against opponents with a combined overall record of 14 and 20 or 411 winning percentage. They haven't faced a team that's going to stretch them vertically like USC. USC wins this ball game by double digits. I'm calling for the 40-30 to 30 victory a little bit later today. Well, that would really hurt Brian Kelly. I mean, Brian Kelly, after the debacle against Georgia, in which there was a sea of red in yes. South Bend, the last yes. thing he needs right now is to lose at home. He has to split the first two big home games against Georgia and USC. I think he does. I'm impressed by the Irish. Defensively opportunistic, 14 takeaways so far this year. Uh, USC has been turnover prone, Joe, right? 16 turnovers so far this year. Last week was Sam Darnold's first game in which he did not throw a pick in 2017. USC clearly has the athletes, the better athletes, I would say, than Notre Dame. But the difference for me in this game is that offensive line, the return of Brandon Wimbush, the running of Josh Adams, the physicality up front against a USC defense that is beaten up, they're thinned out along the defensive line, and they struggled to stop Zach Moss. Going into last weekend, Utah was having a problem running the ball. Zach Moss was pedestrian as a running back, and yet he averaged over seven yards a carry. So I'm concerned about the run defense of USC. I see this game, I have it at about 34-28. I, I think it's competitive throughout. Who wins? Notre Dame? Notre Dame. Okay. 30, I, should, I, should, I should say who's going to win. Yeah, no, I have it Notre Dame 34, USC 28. I think USC is gradually running out of gas 
Too much attrition on the offensive and defensive line. Love Sam Darnold. Love Ronald Jones. They'll keep them in the game. But the ability of Notre Dame to pound it between the tackles. Watch Quentin Nelson. Watch Mike McGlinchey. I think they'll have a lot of success. Josh Adams will have a big day as well. Well, I think they're going to have to run the football to be to be uh, to get this victory and be successful later today. I will say this about uh, Notre Dame secondary: they come into this matchup giving up 231 passing yards per game. They haven't been challenged vertically. Teams like Temple, Boston College, Michigan State, Miami of Ohio, and North Carolina. You throw in Georgia into that mix. Mm-hmm. All six of those opponents, the highest passing yards per game was. Uh, 241 by Miami of Ohio and Gus Ragland. So when you look at the, the matchup here, I think it yeah. is Sam Darnold and that offense's ability to put pressure on Brandon Winbush, especially in third down conversions. This is a USC offense that's converting 46% of their third down opportunities. You look at Notre Dame entering this ballgame, 38% on third downs. And more importantly, when you look at the game that they lost against Georgia, Georgia was able to get pressure on Winbush. They converted three of 17 of their third down attempts he's only completing 52% of his passes so that's the matchup that I want to see play out and USC's offensive line as battered as it is has only allowed 10 total sacks through 7 games if Darnold has time to pick apart that secondary that's the matchup that I'm watching even though USC is banged up on the defensive front as well they enter this ball game 23 sacks in 7 games I'll take my chances I like the physicality and I like USC as an underdog here. And you're getting points. So you're getting points and you Better have the quarterback in my the more complete yeah. quarterback uh, at this point in the season. Uh, clearly, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And one thing just to mention about Darnold, which a lot of folks don't talk about but should, very athletic. Yes. I, I mean, don't, presence. Don't underestimate Maybe. his ability when the pocket breaks down that he can escape pressure and make plays with his feet. I'm a big Darnold fan. You and I talked about it during the week. I think 10 years from now, he's the best NFL quarterback out of this year's crop of candidates. So very high ceiling. I know there are pick numbers, but that and they're not all his fault. They were batted balls. Uh, but his receivers are not doing a great job either, though, Joe. No, they're I, I not mean, helping him out. No, a lot of drop passes. Exactly. A lot week. of drop passes, a lot of uh, tipped and batted balls that have gone the other way, that have turned into picks. So, you know, USC, good, solid program. They can win this game, but I'm going to lean on the running game of Notre Dame and that atmosphere. But again, if they lose it, Brian Kelly, I'm not going to get into hot seat talk at this point, (laughs) but Brian Kelly, if he cannot win one of these two huge games in South Bend at night, He's already 0-1 against Georgia, so this is kind of must-win territory when it comes to Brian Kelly. One more quick thing, too. Whichever team, this is sort of a playoff elimination game. You'll you'll lose it, you're out. But if you win it, you can go into the rest of the season knowing that you could win out and possibly have a shot of making the playoff. That clearly applies to Notre Dame. I'm not predicting it, but with their schedule, the NC States, the Stanfords that still lie ahead, Notre Dame has the opportunity to play their way into playoff contention, which is fascinating. It's certainly not something we were talking about post-Georgia. It it is, and you have to throw Clay Helton into the mix, too. If they lose this game, he's on the hot seat as well because they were a top-five team, a playoff contender to start the year with Heisman Trophy 
front runner Sam Darnold. So if they drop two losses in 2017, expect Clay Helton to be on the hot seat as well in Southern California. Another intriguing battle. I really like this matchup. Arizona State fresh off their 13-7 victory over Washington last week. Again, on the road in Salt Lake City, Rice Eccles Stadium against Utah. Utah's won two of the last two by 19.5 points per game. But I like the defense of Arizona State here. I think they're a hot team. Their quarterback, Manny Wilkins, who's completing 66% of his passes, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. I think they continue the momentum. I'm calling for a seven-point victory on the road in Salt Lake City yeah, later we, tonight. We agree again. And, and you know, I, there, there's a psychology to any sport, and there's a psychology to picking and prognosticating games. Sometimes I think we overthink it. I, I like <laughs> to just look at teams, look at film, uh, see if they pass the eye test. And Arizona State against what I thought was the, the cream of the crop of the Pac-12 still might be the case, but they thoroughly outplayed a very good Washington team last week. Shut down Jake Browning, shut down Miles Gaskin. Dante Pettis was not a factor. So I, I think for Arizona State, I've always liked the Sun Devil athletes. You know, they attack on defense. They have good backs with Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj. Manny Wilkins, you touched on, he's beginning to come into his own behind center. So Arizona State, I think, has some confidence coming into this week. That was a huge victory for the Sun Devils. And Todd Graham, speaking of hot seat, that might have helped his future and his security. But Arizona State is confident. Arizona State is getting it done defensively. You look at a Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, Tayshawn Smallwood up front. That front seven is a little bit undersized, but very active, a lot faster and a lot quicker to the ball than Utah might be able to handle. Now, Tyler Huntley might be back for Utah, but we don't know if he's 100%. We don't know if he's rusty after missing the last couple of weeks. And Utah, by the way, Joe, last two games, physical against Stanford, physical against USC, two close emotional losses. I think Arizona State is fired up. I think there's the possibility of the upset again. I think Arizona State is better than people are giving them credit for. Even in the losses earlier earlier this year, played pretty well. They did. And Play you well. look at those losses. I mean, Texas Tech was yeah. one, San Diego State, and Stanford. Those teams are a combined 15-5 and five overall or a 750 winning percentage. They lost those ball games by a total score of 116-89 to 89, or nine points per game. And they do have some quality wins. They beat New Mexico State. They beat Oregon. They beat Washington. Those teams are 13-8 and eight overall or a 619 winning percentage. You look at the flip side of Utah. They beat North Dakota. They beat BYU. They beat San Jose State. They beat Arizona. Those teams are 6-15 and 15 combined this year, which is a 285 winning percentage. And you mentioned their defense in three straight games now against Arizona, Stanford, USC. This is a defense that's allowed 190 rushing yards over the last three games average. I think they can get worn down here now. Arizona State hasn't rushed the football like yes. they have Just in years say past, yeah. but they do have Belage, they do have Richard. If those guys get going early, that can open up play action for Manny Wilkins. And they have an athletic Wilkins, too, so it's a bit of a surprise. Arizona State, I'm, I'm going to have to pin it on the offensive yeah. line, Joe, because they have talent in the backfield. They have athletes. They have diversity in the backfield. They have the physical backs. They have backs that can get outside the tackles. The fact that they're averaging under three three yards a carry is criminal considering the talent and that falls squarely on the offensive line that's my only concern about this game 
Utah typically very tough at the line yes, of scrimmage. Physical. Yeah, very physical. Front seven under Kyle Whittingham, traditionally very tough in run defense. So Arizona State could have a hard time running the ball, which would put more pressure on Manny Wilkins. But again, as I looked at this game, I'm impressed by Arizona State. I don't think they're a fluke. I think they're a competitive team. And traditionally, how about this for Utah? Last eight games against FBS opponents, seven of those games decided by a touchdown or less. Utah always plays tight games. So when I see a line that began the week in the 9-10 to 10 area, that to me <laughs> against salivating. a confident ASU team looks to be very close throughout. Possibility of the upset. I really like the points. Again, I'm not going to... There are a couple of teams, I, I won't unveil who the other one is, but there are a couple of teams that I think Vegas sometimes, and the public, because the public will swing those lines, they're a little slow to react. You know, like they're like, well, you know what, in the offseason, we didn't like this team. Show me one more time before I really have that data factored into the point spread. I think that applies to ASU. I think they're a better team than Las Vegas is giving them credit for right now. Well, here's the other factor that I think you have to keep an eye out for. You mentioned Manny Wilkins, his mobility. Utah enters this game, six games, 11 total sacks. They did not record a sack in back-to-back games against USC and Stanford. If they can't get pressure on Manny Wilkins and he can roll outside the pocket, make some plays with his legs, and then open up play action, could be a long day. I'm calling for the 37-30 to victory over the Utes a little bit later today. Rich likes them as well. When we come back, we'll be rapid-fire picks. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. pick time. Rich and I have both been on fire for the most part. I had a yep. subpar week last week, 2-4 and four overall. Rich nailed it. He was 3-2-1. and one. We like some uh, that games. That was 4-1-1, one one, by the way. Oh, what, yeah, I thought you were 3-2-1. and one, No, 4-1-1. Right? One one. Oh, on fire, yeah. Rich. Should have been 5-0-1, oh, one, one. by the way. Damn you, uh, Michigan, Michigan State. State. That was I the mean, game I was counting. I, I, yeah, thought, I thought you dropped one another one. Been, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens. Disappointed. We'll see today. We'll see. I'll get Damn back you, off Mark the schneid, as they say. We left off with Arizona State, Utah. I love Arizona State today on the road. I think they pick up a seven-point victory in Rice-Eccles Stadium. I think it is the mobility of Manny Wilkins. And, and secondly, this Arizona State defense that was dead last in FBS last year, giving up 357 total yards per game through the air over the last couple of weeks, Rich, holding opposing offenses 
56% of uh, completions and only 155 passing yards per game. They held Washington to 21% on third down conversions, 3 of 14 last week. I think it continues. Utah's only converting 33% yeah, we're, we're on in, offense. We're in agreement here. I, I like Arizona State. I think they're undervalued at this point, certainly in terms of the line, getting close to 10 points. Uh, I think is a very good play. This is a better team than people expect. They're gaining confidence. And Utah Utah just plays close games. I mean, every game they play is decided by a touchdown or less. I think this is a safe bet to go with the Sun Devils. We'll see how it plays out. It is a 3.30 kick. It is on FS1, so check that out. Here's a game I like. It'll be a little bit later tonight. We didn't talk about it. LSU's won three of the last five over Ole Miss by 8.6 points per game, but they did drop the last two in Oxford by 12 points per game. I don't think it matters. Ole Miss is giving up over the last three games 290 rushing yards per game. LSU gets healthy. They dominate this victory later today. I think it's 17 points or more in Oxford. I, I think LSU wins. I like LSU to cover. I don't have the same confidence level that you do right now. I, I think LSU uh, LSU's kind of... Uh, an enigma. Shaky. The yeah, they are definitely an enigma. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think they're kind of shaky. I give them credit for... They, you know, they remind me of Miami right now. Ooh, Miami is finding a way over the past couple of weeks. Same thing with LSU. Give them a lot of credit. They're finding a way to win, which is important. But they have not been dominant. I still have concerns on offense. I need to see Darius Geis being 100% healthy. And Shea Patterson at home with A.J. Brown on the outside is an intriguing combination. So I like LSU, just not with the same intensity. We'll that break that game down a little bit later in next segment. A game that uh, we haven't talked about it as well. Oklahoma, Kansas State. Oklahoma's won the last two by 38 <laughs> points per game. You like Oklahoma here. I'm going to shock everybody. I like Kansas State with the points. Oklahoma wins, but I'll take the Wildcats at home. You've made Bill Snyder for the first time. Uh, you've made him happy for the first time that you guys uh, have known each other. So, uh, yeah, I like Oklahoma. I won't spend too much time. We'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later on. But I think Oklahoma, after beating Texas, they're back on track. Kansas State is fading with Alex Delton behind center. They just don't have a passing game to complement their ground game. So I like Oklahoma big. USC later tonight. Sam Darnold, they get healthy in South Bend. I think they pick up a 10-point victory a little bit later today. It is a best bet of mine. Yeah, I'm surprised. That's a lot of confidence. Uh, Notre Dame at home, I think there's a sense of urgency, the ability to run the ball. Uh, USC with their problems on both lines of scrimmage. I think it's competitive, but I like Notre Dame. Michigan State has dominated Indiana over recent years. I would take the points here. Not one of my best picks, but you love the Spartans a little bit later. I, I do. Again, last week they really technically should have covered <laughs> against Minnesota. They dominated throughout and they gave up two late touchdowns. So I think Michigan State, I want to see what they're going to get from LJ Scott, who was arrested this week. He looks like he's going to play, but how much is a factor for me because he went for 194 yards, finally got on track last week. I like Michigan State. Seven times he's been arrested. It's it's really amazing. Seventh time is the charm, apparently. When Rich and I come back, we'll be diving into LSU Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. 